Welcome in to another edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. I'm your host, Grayson Grunhafer, and yes, this is a weird week. So it's just going to be me this week. Craig uh, is not on this week. We're not going to be in studio this week, and it's pretty much all because we're doing a little bit of a renovation in the studio for a couple days. So that's why the radio show is getting mixed up a little bit, and so is uh, the podcast as well. Uh, because we're doing a little bit of remodeling. It won't be too long, uh, but a couple days of remodeling just to make sure that uh, we're continuing to improve and get better and better uh, as far as those things go. So this week, we're going to be talking a lot about football and of course, a lot about recruiting as well, as there's an official visit coming up this week. Um, There were some additions, some big football notes during the week that we'll cover, and then also a huge mailbag as well. So we're going to kind of talk about a lot of different things this week and just kind of go through um, some of the various storylines that really came out of the past week, uh, especially in Baylor football and recruiting. So I think the first place that we should obviously start is with the new addition at quarterback. As Baylor went out and got Luke Anthony, uh, the Louisiana Tech grad transfer quarterback, um, huge pickup for the Bears. And I know we've talked about this a lot on the premium side of things, but you know, to get a guy who's had a, as much experience as Luke Anthony has and have him be your backup or third string guy on the roster is absolutely massive. Um, so he comes in, he's six foot one, 208 pounds. And he'll be immediately eligible because he is a grad transfer. I know I got a lot of questions kind of asked about that because obviously Gary Bohannon. He transferred and had to go into the portal before the deadline, or he wasn't going to be able to play this year. Uh, But he wasn't considered a grad transfer like Anthony is. So that's why he was also able to uh, wait it out longer. Plus, he is a walk on, which um, is just another addition to that. So he's 6'1, 208 pounds. He was, uh, I guess, let's start from the beginning. So he enrolled at Abilene Christian in 2017, or 2016, actually. And then played, started in 2017, 2018, 2019, then transferred to Louisiana Tech uh, for the 2020 season. So during 2018 and 2019, the two years that he started pretty much every game at Abilene Christian, he threw for 5,544 yards, 40 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, and he completed over 64% of his passes. So, I mean, pretty accomplished. I mean, that's right around 2,800 yards a year, um, 20 touchdowns, 10 interceptions for not a great team. I mean, when you go look at Abilene Christian's roster, um, they're not that great. And he was able to be pretty competent uh, on those teams and pretty successful. I think if you were to translate that to Baylor now, I know Baylor's playing a tougher schedule, uh, but I I feel like at Baylor, he'd have even more success, be a 3,025 touchdown, seven or eight touchdown guy. Um, I mean, seven or eight interception guy, which is solid. Um, he's limited athleticism wise, not a great runner, uh, can move okay in the pocket, but he's much more of a, uh, pocket passer, not going to run around too much. Uh, once he gets outside the pocket, he's going to look to throw the football more times than not. I think another interesting storyline with him is, At ACU, he actually played Baylor in 2018 in a game that I'm sure a lot of y'all remember. You know, Baylor came out to start the year and 
it, it was an easy win for Baylor, 55 to 27. Uh, but if you go watch that game, there were moments that were a little uncomfortable where Baylor's given up some explosive plays, giving up some first down conversions. And a lot of it was on the ground to Billy McCrary. Um, but Luke Anthony had moments as well. He's 26 for 39, 231 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So he showed on the biggest stage on the road at Baylor, you know, that he was a pretty competent quarterback. And I think that's a great sign as well. So that was his career at Abilene. Really solid, I feel like. And obviously, Louisiana Tech thought a lot of him because they took him as a transfer. Uh, He came into Conference USA, one newcomer of the year in 2020, threw for 14 Uh, 79 yards, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions while completing 62.4% of his passes. So was really good. That was a shortened season, obviously. So those numbers aren't fleshed out as much as as they would be if he got to play the entire, you know, 12, 13 game season. Uh, But those numbers are really encouraging. And then as far as 2021 goes, the last game of the season in 2020, he suffered a compound fracture in his leg, um, which caused him to miss the rest of 2020. Now that was in, I believe their second to last game of the year. And then of course that also cost him the 2021 season as well. And that led us to here. So now he's fully back to health. He's ready to go. And Baylor's getting a guy who the last time he played was, the newcomer of the year in a group of five conference, a pretty decent group of five conference as well. So when you put all that together, you got to think that's a home run for Baylor. And as far as the kind of optics of this, it gets even better for the bears in my eyes. So Austin Nova said, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, you know, Baylor didn't take a 2022 quarterback because he is their de facto 2022 and 2023 quarterback. And obviously, it was really appealing to him that there is no quarterback ahead of him. Uh, That's huge. That's a big advantage for Baylor to sell in his recruitment. Now, as far as kind of uh, the reason I bring that up is because you bring in Luke Anthony, who does not impact in any way their QB room going forward. It's just for this year. So it doesn't impact Austin Novosad at all. Uh, If anything, it just allows Baylor to be even better this year which again will just help even more in Austin's recruitment. So uh, that's a big part of this. I think it allows Kyron Drones an opportunity to probably um, not necessarily sit out this year because I still think he's going to be competing to be the backup on this team. There's no question about it. Um, But I think it allows him to kind of learn even more and also not be thrown into a situation if he's not quite ready for the situation yet. Uh, And then I also think, a guy like Luke Anthony coming in, a guy who's played, you know, four seasons of college football. This is a guy who's been through the grinds, the wear and tear of a season and knows the mental and physical things that you need to do to get yourself ready, along with the experience and the knowledge. And, you know, a big thing for Luke coming to Baylor was the fact that he gets to be around this coaching staff and just learn even more about football. And that tells me that he's a guy who wants to come in and be a leader for this team and also really groom and mold Blake Shapin and Kyron Drones and just help them get better and better. So I think that's another huge advantage of adding a guy like Luke Anthony. And, you know, I was really impressed with him, uh, just the way that he kind of went about his recruitment. It was very quiet. Um, but at the end of the day, Baylor got their guy and got a guy that's going to really be highly impactful for this team. Uh, Sean Bell went out and was able to land him and get him to come to Baylor as a walk-on, which 
uh, is also very, very interesting. Uh, that's another interesting dynamic that he's not taking up a scholarship spot either. So um, for him to give up being a starter for his entire career, which is what he has been, um, he gets to move up a level, go to a Power 5 conference, a school that he's been around a lot. His cousin played baseball at Baylor. Um, and then also just give himself a chance to compete, just come in and compete to try to be uh, the best quarterback he can be during his time at Baylor. So that's Luke Anthony. Great pickup for Baylor. I think he's going to come and provide great depth at a position that they need more depth at uh, for this next season. Moving on to the next topic of this week, it was move-in weekend. So the 2023 or the 2022 class is all moved in. Uh, everybody made it here, to my knowledge, made it to Waco. So uh, that's done. That's finished. That's wrapped up. The class is enrolled. Classes started on Monday, I believe. Um, and that also includes Josh White as well, the LSU transfer. He has all moved in as well uh, to his apartment. He's really excited to get things going and, and get uh, even more ready for the season as now it, it starts, you know, getting ready to hit the weight room and learn the playbook and, and just get more knowledge about football at Baylor and learn more and get stronger and get ready for the season. So a huge opportunity for all of these guys uh, obviously summer's a huge time. You get started with classes, kind of that gets into a fold as you're starting to learn what Baylor's about on the education side, making sure that you're ready for when the fall comes and school becomes much more difficult and time consuming when you have a whole season going on as well. Um, so this is a nice foundation point. You get to get in the weight room, start getting to know guys even more, um, and get to learn with Vic Valoria. You know what that summer looks like and how big that summer is for guys to progress and excel in the weight room and get their bodies right for fall camp. It's absolutely massive. So the first storyline that kind of came out of move-in weekend and really the main one of the weekend was Kyan Roberts Day. Uh, obviously, he was recruited as a tight end, really just an athlete in general uh, out of Festus, Missouri. He's one of the highest rated prospects in Baylor's 2022 class. Um and it appears he's going to be starting off his Baylor career at running back. And right now it's just summer workouts. So he's going to try to work on, you know, his game some and try to figure out his role in this offense. But at this moment, it looks like that's where he's going to begin. That's where he's going to try to kind of get better and better. I um, mean, I'm so curious by this. And I think everyone is. I mean, 6'4", 270 pounds and rolling. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people thinking, okay, He's going to go play defensive line immediately. Day one, they're just going to throw him out there and just forget everything they said during his recruitment. And that just was never realistic. And I know some people feel like, oh, you know, you commit to Baylor. You should be able to do whatever Baylor wants you to do. That's not how it works. And Cayenne really wanted a shot to play offense. And Baylor, from the very beginning, was all about that. And they have been all about that. It's been tied in for the most part. And then obviously, you know, when he's been visiting, as he's been talking to the coaching staff, uh, it's become more and more geared towards running back. And I've posted about a lot on the premium side, but the staff's looking for more depth at running back. And they're looking for specifically a power back to get them short yardage conversions. And of course, touchdowns in the red zone and especially on the goal line. And so as things progressed, it just seemed like the staff was talking more and more about, hey, Cayenne, you know, maybe running back. Maybe we're going to try you at running back. We could use someone like you at this position. And now Justin Johnson has a guy who 
could, could really sell at the running back position if he's able to do the things necessary to not only get his explosiveness to where it needs to be, but also get his weight down. Uh, I think Kyan is a tremendous athlete. And I know he told me he hasn't lost any speed or any agility from when he was 225 pounds to where he is now. Um, but if you watch, you know, if you watch his film where he's playing at 260 pounds and you see his body right now, that that just is not completely realistic. Now, I know with Vic Valoria, the staff can get him to that point, but it just seems highly unrealistic for me to sit there and go, OK, you know, 45 pounds later, he still has that same burst and explosiveness. So for me, I think Kyan needs to get down to around somewhere between 245 and 255 if he really wants to solidify himself in this offense and if he wants to give himself the best shot at truly being an impact running back during his time at Baylor. I'm excited about it. He's a great athlete. He's the kind of athlete that can pretty much do anything on the football field. You see it in his vertical. You see it in his broad jump, his agility scores and then of course his 40 time of four five nine um he's got it all he's got the ability to do it all but he's gonna have to really work hard at it um you know when i've talked to him multiple times he's talked about you know he's been able to get up to 280 before i mean the dude just is able to put on weight like crazy and now he's gonna have to really refine that and i you know if you're gonna trust any strength and conditioning staff it's gonna be vic valoria and the guys that he's brought with him to baylor and built at baylor uh, to make sure that he's able to continue growing, but maybe taking some of the weight down and creating that more into explosiveness uh, for Kyan. Because we know he's very explosive, but I think he can get to another level if he were to lose you know, 20 pounds and be able to feel so much lighter, faster, and quicker on his feet. And I think that would give him the best shot sticking to the running back position. Now, as far as the future goes, it's going to be all about the weight in my eyes. I think if he can lose the weight, then maybe he can stick at running back. Either way, I think he can play tight end or running back at his size. Um, it just is a matter of what he's going to be able to do is what I would say. Now, if he's 270 pounds, it's really going to be difficult for him to maintain the same kind of explosiveness while also being as dynamic on the offensive side. I think, again, he needs to lose some of that weight and it'll help him in my eyes become you know an absolute juggernaut on the offensive side of the ball defensively if he were to make that move which you know i think right now that's not really realistic that he is going to make that move but if for some reason he just can't keep the weight off and he's up to 280 285 i just don't see any way that you don't move him to the defensive side of the ball i, I think that that pretty much is going to be on him though whether the weight comes or or doesn't come that's going to be big on him, and it's going to be have to be a priority for him. Uh, but if he does continue to put on weight, he's going to outgrow tight end and running back, and he's going to have to figure out another position where he can excel. And that's when I could see a move happening. But I think right now, he's just too special of an athlete to not give a shot at on the offensive side, especially with what they're trying to build there and trying to become more dynamic. This is the guy that can definitely help you in that regard. So I'm excited to see how he grows under Justin Johnson and, and learns uh, from juice at that running back position. Um, and I'm excited to see where things go with Kyan Roberts day. So moving on to the recruiting side of things this week, uh, let's talk a little bit about Austin Novosad first, and then we'll jump into a little bit of an official visit preview. I'm not going to talk too in depth about it, um, but I'll go through a couple of the hotter topics. Uh, for this week. So 
Uh, Austin Novosad, of course, got the Ohio State offer uh, earlier this week on June 2nd and is a guy who continues to rise up boards. I mean, I mean, let's just be real. He continues to look like more and more of a top 50 type prospect in the entire country. Uh, I think he's probably getting closer to being a top eight quarterback in this class, whereas he's currently ranked outside the top 10. I just, I'm not a buyer in that. I think he's more like a top eight, maybe even top six type quarterback in this class. He's very, very good. I mean, a guy who I just think is kind of scratching the surface of what he's going to be. Uh, he's got weight to add, and he's just continuing to to show that he is going to get better and better. And I think that's the most intriguing part. We all know the arm talent. We've all seen it on display on his film. He's highly productive, has put up a ton of numbers. Um, so for him, it's just showing what he can do against the elite of the elite. And I think when he goes to the elite 11 camp at the end of June, um, he's really going to put on a show. And I think he's going to put himself even more on the map than he currently is. And I'm really excited to see that. Because like I said, right now, he's right around that top six, top eight quarterbacks in the entire country, um, which is, I mean, no small feat. That puts you in inside right around the top 50 prospects in the entire nation. So uh, that's kind of where I think he is. But I think at the Elite 11, he'll have a chance to jump inside the top five if he puts on a big enough show. Um, and obviously, adding an Ohio State offer, adding a Stanford offer, uh, those two will help his chances at potentially winning the Elite 11 and also uh, continuing to raise his recruiting ranking. Now, as far on the recruiting side goes, um, the Ohio State offer, you know, a big one. He went up there for a camp in Columbus and immediately got the offer from uh, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. And that allowed Austin to, you know, it, it kind of allows all Baylor fans to go, man, how about Baylor's evaluation? How about Sean Bell's evaluation of Austin Novosad? The day he was, the first day he was at Baylor camp, immediately got the offer. Then you see him go to Ohio State, goes to a camp, attends a camp, throws really well, immediately gets an offer um, because it's very evident. The ball comes out of his hand differently. Uh, there's just an arm talent there that you can't really describe. It, it's just there and you see it. I mean, you see the ball get on his receivers really, really quickly, um, but you also see the touch on the deep ball, which is something that really separates, you know, three-star quarterbacks from those high four-star, five-star type guys because uh, he's got multiple throws. It's not just one throw he can make. It's not just one speed that he can throw with. Um, so he gets the offer, big offer. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen? Is he going to decommit and commit immediately? And, um, and I've just been continuing to tell people, you know, press the brakes a little bit on that storyline. And I know I get, I get it. I understand there's people that are nervous about what's happening and nervous about this whole situation because it's Ohio State. And Ohio State has consistently put guys in the NFL, but they've also consistently had guys transfer out of their program because they never get to play. And so, I think that kind of nuance is a big reason why Baylor is in the situation that they are as far as being the leader. Uh, obviously, Austin's committed, so they're clearly the leader, but continuing to be the leader in his recruitment. Uh, so I, I posted an article on the premium side and kind of went through a few of the different storylines with this offer and kind of where things are at. But I'm going to break it down as simply as I can. Ohio State has a five-star sophomore in Kyle McCord as the backup quarterback behind CJ Stroud. So the positive for Ohio state there, CJ Stroud will be a top 10 pick, possibly the number one overall pick in next year's draft. So he is gone. 
So yes, Austin may think, oh, I can come in there and compete for the starting quarterback job. Well, there's also a five-star sophomore in Kyle McCord who has waited his turn and is going to be a junior. And I think if all signs are pointing correctly, the reason he stayed is because he's going to be the guy next year. And I think he's going to be very, very good for them as well. They also have a high four-star freshman, Devin Brown, uh, who is a true freshman. So he'll just be a redshirt freshman next year. And then they also have five-star 2024 prospect Dylan Riola committed as well. Uh, he's my number one quarterback in the 2024 class, extremely talented. There's a chance he's the number one overall pick uh, out of his class. He's that good. So that you got those three guys. You, I know you don't have a locked-in starter, but Kyle is pretty much a locked-in starter in my eyes, unless Devin Brown's really good or, you know, of course, unless Austin somehow comes in and is able to win the job you know, over a veteran. Uh, and that's possible as well. Um, that, that's definitely possible with his kind of talent. But that depth chart is not as favorable as what you're looking at with Baylor. At Baylor, you have Blake Shapin, who Austin could come in and beat Blake Shapin out potentially. But if not, I think Austin's got to feel pretty good that, okay, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to get to compete right after Shapin leaves. There's no one in the 2022 class ahead of me. Um, so really, I just got to figure out a way to beat out Kyron Drones if it's just us two at the end. Um, and, and I think that situation seems a little bit more favorable, not a little bit, a lot more favorable than what's on the Ohio State depth chart and roster at current look. I would also say a big thing for Austin has been the relationships. Sean Bell, the guy in this recruitment, his primary recruiter, they have an awesome relationship and it just continues and continues. They talk every day. It's a very special bond that the two have, but then he's also got good relationships with Jeff Grimes, the offense coordinator, Dave Aranda. I mean, all the visits he's taken to Baylor and all the moments he's had to get to know this Baylor staff, Ohio state hasn't had. So they're playing complete catch up and we're already in June. And don't forget, this is a guy that's enrolling early. Austin is. So they got six months to try to get a relationship that's better than Baylor's. They also have six months to figure out a way that, okay, this guy enrolls early. We got to get him to trust us and somehow trust us. And somehow, you know, we got to make this situation look as favorably as possible in six months. And I just feel like that's going to be really difficult. And I know a lot of people want to say, oh, but it's Ohio State. It's just going to be an automatic flip that this offer is too big to, to miss on. But I think you got to remember that the battles that Baylor has lost in the past are not the same situation that Baylor is currently at right now. Baylor is Big 12 champs, Sugar Bowl champs. And in this program's history, for the most part, they're in one of the better situations they have ever been. Dave Aranda is locked into a contract. They're getting a brand new football facility. I mean, you think about these factors and you think about where Baylor is currently at. This is a program that is geared towards winning Big 12 championships consistently and competing for the college football playoff. And because of that, Baylor absolutely has an opportunity to continue holding on to Austin Novoset. I think Austin is seeing that this program is at a different stage right now than they ever have been in the past. And I think this is a very favorable moment for Baylor and a favorable moment for them to end up landing one of the best quarterbacks they've ever landed in the entire school's history. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now with Austin. I still feel really good about it. He took a trip to Stanford as well. Um, so he's visited both Ohio State and Stanford, two schools that have offered him. I know Texas A&M is still looking at him, but they're continuing to 
push and push out his recruitment. It's really weird what they're doing. They continue to just try to find another quarterback target and then just try to keep Austin on the side. And I, I think at the end of the day, that's really going to cost them. And I know his mom and dad both went to AM, but I, I just don't really, that offer does not really scare me very much because the way that I, you know, when I've talked to Austin, it, it is a big deal that they've continued to push him to the side and continue to not make him a priority and continue to say, these guys are much better than you. And we, you know, we don't want you. We'd rather have these guys. At some point that catches up to you and you can't just go to the very end and be like, oh, we're just going to you know, take whoever we want. Sometimes it doesn't work out like that. And in this situation, I just don't think it's going to work out very well for AM if they continue to, to push out Austin Novosad's recruitment, continue to not take him seriously as one of the top quarterbacks in the entire country. So that's it for Austin. That's kind of where things are at with him. He'll take his official visit on June 17th, so not this first weekend, but the second weekend of official visits when many of the commits will be arriving. Um, and that's an opportunity for Baylor to just continue solidifying things uh, with Austin. And I feel like that visit's gonna go really, really well. So excited to hear how things go and see how that relationship continues to grow. But Baylor's in a good situation at this current moment. Moving on to the official visit weekend, Again, I'm not going to talk too in-depth about this. Uh, just kind of go through a couple of the names that are visiting and kind of what Baylor needs to get done this weekend. So I'm going to start with, there's two commits, uh, Cy Ranch linebacker Christian Brathwaite and Mineola athlete slash running back Dawson Pendergrass. Both of them will be on campus this weekend. Um, excited, excited for those two to kind of solidify things in their recruitments. I feel good about both already. Uh, but it's just another opportunity for Baylor to continue to sell uh, what they have as a program to two commits. I would say one of the bigger storylines really uh, that kind of unfolded after this weekend is Jalen Braxton, uh, the Frisco Lone Star cornerback, uh, four-star cornerback. He took his visit to Michigan State this past weekend, really enjoyed his time in East Lansing, had a great time, loves that coaching staff, continues to build uh, strong relationships with them. And coming off of his visit, you know, he had been very, very real with me for the past two months that Baylor was the leader. Baylor's the leader in his recruitment. But after this visit, he was also real with me and said, Michigan State and Baylor are now my top two. It, they're right next to each other. It's hard to separate the two. I think in my eyes, after the conversation, you know, Michigan State is the leader because he's been on an official visit there and loved it. But if he comes to Baylor and Baylor can one-up that, Baylor's got a great chance at landing him. He also told me that his commitment timeline has somewhat changed. So his commitment date is set for July 9th, which is his mom's birthday. But he did tell me that if this weekend goes well or doesn't go well, I guess, he could see himself committing to either Baylor or Michigan State after this trip. So all that to say is that Baylor is in a situation right now where they could be able to land the four-star prospect after this trip. It also makes it very important that they come in and, and win a head-to-head -head battle. I mean, it's in the state of Texas. you got to figure out a way to beat Michigan State when you have an in-state prospect that you've made a priority since day one. This is not a battle Baylor should lose, um, but it is one that is on the kind of breaking point right now, and Baylor's going to have to find a way to shift things back into their favor. Uh, Braxton is also going to take official visits to Cal at the end of the month. And then he's deciding between Texas Tech and Arkansas uh, for June 17th, uh, deciding which one will get an official visit there. 
And then he's probably going to take an official visit to LSU during the season. So they're kind of the wild card in my eyes in his recruitment. Um, But that's probably the biggest storyline of the weekend is Jalen Braxton. You know, is he going to make a decision after this trip or is he going to decide to wait things out? I'm really, really excited to see how this goes for him and excited to see if this Baylor staff can really close and and show that those relationships that they've built uh, haven't been for nothing. Uh, So we'll see what happens with Braxton after this weekend. I guess a few other storylines. They got a big nose tackle who will be coming on campus who they've got a great relationship with. Ridgepoint nose tackle DK Kalu. Uh, He's kind of a priority at this point in my eyes for this recruiting class. They need a nose tackle. He fits the mold really, really well. And he's also a guy they've just been able to seemingly build an awesome relationship with. So getting him on campus, potentially solidifying things, I think could be massive for Baylor uh, going forward. Uh, And then also Clear Falls uh, outside linebacker, Corey Kelly. He's kind of in that jack role. A great athlete. Very, very good athlete, highly functional. He moves extremely well, so fast. Um, There's not a lot of wasted movements with him. And he's a very raw prospect. So there's a high ceiling there, room for him to grow. A guy Baylor's been on for a long time. They've been recruiting him so, so hard. And he's a very good prospect. Um, And getting him on campus this early is huge. And trying to solidify things with him is massive as well. Baylor's been looking for a jack in this class. And I think Corey really fits the bill. Uh, for them as far as a guy that's had a lot of interest and then he also has a lot of talent as well there's a few other guys who will be coming on campus i'm again i'm not going to run through all of them but two offensive linemen uh two defensive linemen uh two outside linebackers one uh interior linebacker and christian brathwaite one cornerback in jalen braxton and then an athlete slash running back in dawson pendergrass so a good first weekend Uh, for Baylor on these official visits and a great opportunity to sell what the program has to offer. So that's pretty much it for this week. As far as uh, the content goes, we're going to move into the mailbag here in a second, but a lot of good stuff this week from the Baylor football program and the recruiting side, a lot of storylines. And I think there'll be a lot more in the coming weeks as well, as Baylor continues to try to get things moving in the right direction, the recruiting class, they've been stuck at, you know, 10, well, nine commits for a while, got the 10th commit. And now they're just trying to fill up the class more and more. And June, as we've talked about is a huge month for this Baylor program on the recruiting side of things. Okay. So now let's move into the mailbag portion of the podcast this week. We have a lot of great questions. So let's go ahead and dive in. So the first question of the week comes from Scotty B the Baylor King. And he asks, what do you expect TCU football to do this year in terms of wins? So I kind of went through this and, and went through a bunch of different, just, just kind of separated things. So starting with the non-conference, I think they're going to beat Tarleton State. Um, and then I think they're going to split their road matchups in the non-conference. They got Colorado the first week and SMU the third week, both on the road. So two really tough games, honestly, for TCU in the non-conference, you know, Neither of those teams are great, but I do think they'll get pushed significantly, especially since they're on the road. Sonny Dyke's first game at TCU is on the road at Colorado. Uh, That could be difficult. Um, So I think they're going to split those. So I think they'll be two and one in the non-conference. Could easily see them going one and two or three and oh, depending on how things start. But I'll go with two and one as my best guess at this time. 
Uh, in the Big 12, I got wins at Kansas versus Texas Tech versus Iowa State as my three kind of the wins I feel most good about for them. Losses to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, West for, at West Virginia, at Texas, at Baylor. Uh, so that's three and five. So to me, their swing game is that Kansas State game. Uh, that's for a bull bid. Um, it's at home. And it's in the middle of their schedule. And I think they're going to lose that game. And that's going to cause them to go five and seven this year. That's not a terrible year. First year with Sonny Dykes. But I do think they're going to be right there on the fringe of, you know, five and seven, six and six, seven and five, somewhere right in there. So an okay year, but not a great year, I think, coming for the TCU Horn Frogs. Uh, Scotty B also said, anyways, I enjoyed watching three Baylor women's basketball players over the weekend in a battle between the Atlanta Dream and Indiana Fever, especially my friend Christy Wallace, because it's been so long uh, since he's seen her play in person when healthy. Christy did thank him for coming and supporting as well. Um, so good to see her on the big screen once again. I sent her a photo of me on the big screen, and Scotty B posted a picture of him staying next to a Christy Wallace picture at the game. Well, I hope it was fun. Um, I, those games seem like they're a lot of fun and obviously a lot of Baylor players in the building. So really cool to see that Scotty B hope you had a great time. Uh, next up is Yankee bear. Can we expect any more transfers or medical retirees this summer? If so, are you familiar with any, or are there rumors of any, even if you can't reveal who they are at the moment? Yeah, I do think they'll probably lose one or two guys off the roster. Uh, a couple, maybe a few more than that, um, before the season. Obviously, we're not going to get a roster until the fall, which is kind of a bummer, but I'm sure we'll be able to report a few of those things uh, as summer gets started and as summer progresses as well. Uh, he also asked, who will be the highest ranked prospect that signs with Baylor for the following 2023 sports year? So that's tough. So a lot of fortune telling there, but I'm going to go with in men's basketball, Jacoby Walter. Uh, he's a, he's right around a top 15 prospect in the nation. And we don't know what, where Miro little is going to end up being ranked. So I'll go with Jacoby for men's basketball, as I think Baylor's got a great shot at landing him for football. I'm going to go with Austin Novosad. I think he's going to continue to rise up recruiting ranking boards. And especially after the elite 11, again, I think he could end up being uh, a top 100 prospect, even though I do think he's borderline top 50. For women's basketball, I'm going to go with Michaela Williams, uh, the six foot one wing out of Louisiana. She's got top five of Duke, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas, and Baylor. Uh, I'll go with her. Uh, that's kind of my best guess. She's a five star, so she'd be a great pickup uh, for Nikki Collin and company. Uh, next question How much more influence does the new football ops center and new basketball pavilion come into play in a recruit's decision now that these projects are underway? I mean, it's definitely being used and talked about with recruits, uh, but it's honestly not nearly as important as other things like relationships, winning, scheme fits, culture fits, et cetera. You know, it's more of a bonus than it is a, I'm going to make my decision just because they're building a new facility because facilities don't always amount to wins. Facilities don't always amount to having a great relationship with the coaching staff. So you got to be smarter than that. And these recruits most times are much smarter than that. Um, so yeah, they're using it, but again, it's not the end all be all for these recruits in their decision-making process. Also last question from Yankee bear. What's the last book you read? I'm finishing up Scott Drew's the road to joy. If you've never heard of it, it's pretty good. Well, I can't even tell you the last book I read and that's really sad. I don't read much books. I read a lot on the internet and of course websites and 
articles, but not full on books. It's really sad. I just, I've never been into reading too many books. Um, so I haven't done that, but I have heard of the road to joy. So maybe that'll be the next book I read. Um, and I've heard some great things about it. You know, Kindle's talked, Kindle Kyle's talked about it a lot. Um, so who knows, maybe that'll be the next book I read. Uh, thank you, Yankee bear for the questions. Uh, next question, Ashley Hodge. Okay. What's going on, Ashley? Um, what Baylor player from the past 10 years would you add to this upcoming football, men's basketball, and women's basketball teams to win a natty? Um, so I'm going to start with the easiest one, which, again, we're going to have to decide if she sneaks inside 10 years or not. Brittany Griner, her last season was 2012-2013, so she's kind of right on the cusp. She'd be the most obvious answer of all of these. Uh, she averaged 23 points, 9 rebounds, and 5 blocks a game her last year, so Clearly a superstar and a complete game changer makes any team she's on completely relevant to win a national championship. If she does not count, then I would probably be between Lauren Cox and Odyssey Sims. Um, you know, Lauren, you they need a big. This team needs a big. So I would probably go with Lauren, even though it'd be really fun to add Odyssey, who of course averaged 28 and a half points and four and a half assists her final year at Baylor, which is just completely ridiculous. So one of those two, but I'd probably go with Lauren Cox if Brittany Griner does not count just for the need for um, a big for that woman's basketball team. Moving on to football. Um, this one was kind of an interesting one. So here are the guys that I was between. Bryce Petty, Seth Russell, Spencer Drango, Xavier Howard, JT Woods, and Corey Coleman. And for me, I just had to go with Corey Coleman and I'll explain my reasoning. So I think Shapen in this offense is plenty good enough to be very good. And I know Petty and Russell have more proven, um, you know, games they've shown more on tape. They're, they're very, very good. Um, but I'll just ride with Shapen, especially behind a, an offensive line and a run game that I think is going to be really solid. I don't think they need another quarterback. I, I really don't. Uh, I think shaping can do just fine as far as, you know, if I need to upgrade or not. Now, if RG three was on the table, that'd be a little bit different. Spencer Drango. I'm not adding him because I think this offensive line is good enough as is he'd be an upgrade, no doubt about it, but I think they're good enough that I don't need to make that add, especially in this wide zone scheme where I don't think it fits Spencer quite as well as the scheme uh, that he had when he was at Baylor. JT Woods is really interesting uh, at safety. Baylor does need some help in the secondary, so he'd provide more speed. Obviously, he knows the scheme that Dave Rand and the staff are running, which is very intriguing as well. Um, so he was an option, but as much as I love JT, his talent, you know, he he he's a third-round pick, right? And so, you know, he's good. He's very good, but I'm looking for game-changer, complete game-changer. And so that leads me down to the final two, which are Xavier Howard and Corey Coleman. And that's who I pretty much decided between at the end of the day. Um, and I, I just went with this reasoning. I trust Dave Randa to put a great defense on the field. I trust him to get every position as right as it needs to be. And I trust them to be really, really good. And for that reason, I decided to pick against Xavier Howard and go with Corey Coleman. This offense needs a jolt. And they're going to be solid. They're going to have great moments. They have good talent, a lot of young talent, but, but good talent. They're going to be able to run the football. 
I feel confident in that. I feel confident in Monterey Baldwin being a very solid option. I feel confident in Josh Cameron and Hal Presley and you know Jalen Ellis, just a lot of those guys being good. But I don't know that I see anyone who could come in and just absolutely be the best wide receiver in the entire country and just take over football games and be just a truly unique offensive weapon. I love Monterey Baldwin. I think he's great. I love the receivers on this team, but for this year, they are not Corey Coleman. And they're not even close to Corey Coleman. And that's the biggest difference for me. So I just kind of wanted to go back just because it's a lot of fun to look through history. So before Corey got injured against Oklahoma, so this was through eight games. This include one game with Jared Stidham where he went off against Kansas State. Um, but that, of course, Seth got hurt the game before against Iowa State. So through eight games, he had 1,178 yards and 20 touchdowns in those first eight games. That is 147 yards and two and a half touchdowns per game. His 12 game pace for that season was 1,767 yards and 30 touchdowns. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. There, there aren't many guys who ever had a, you know, a moment during their career where they had an eight game sample size that could have fleshed out in 12 games to those type of numbers. He was unbelievable. His ability to create plays with short passes is remarkable. You just get him the ball in space and it's a wrap and he can get you first downs. He can get you touchdowns. But then the other feature that he has is the big playability. And if you watch Blake shape and play that ability to throw the deep ball would be accentuated even more by having Corey Coleman on the outside. It would open up things on the inside for guys like Ben Sims and Monterey Baldwin to absolutely be nightmares for defenses. It would allow Hal Presley and Josh Cameron to have opportunities for jump balls and one-on-one coverage on the outside, giving them a much easier opportunity to create plays and create touchdowns just by having Corey Coleman on the field. Uh, to me, he's the guy. He's the guy on the football side that I would add that I think could help them get to a national championship on men's basketball. This is another really hard one for me. Um, You know, I've talked about this a lot career wise. I think Jared Butler is the greatest Baylor basketball player of all time. Uh, Davion Mitchell was unbelievable for the championship team, obviously because of his two way ability. Uh, He was truly remarkable. And then you also have need. Um, And that that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's the hardest part with this question is you have LJ Cryer, Keontae George, Adam Flagler as your guards. You got Langston Love. You got Dale Bonner. You got a lot of depth at guard. Do you need another guard uh, to, to come on the court for you when all you have at your center position right now is Flo Thamba and Josh O, who's a true freshman because uh, everyday John might not be able to play this year? That's my dilemma. And, and that uh, it's such a dilemma because it's like, we've seen Baylor win a championship with flow and everyday John, but could they win a championship with just flow and Josh O down low? I don't know. I don't know. And that makes this a really tough question for me. Um, but I will say this, this is just kind of where I'm at. I trust Adam Flagler. I trust LJ Cryer. I think Keontae George is going to be fantastic but I can't pass up on getting two of the best Baylor basketball players of all time. And I will, I'll say it right now. The big that I was thinking of was Jonathan Motley uh, to come in and replace Flo Thamba and allow Flo to come off the bench. Um, Also give them the opportunity to potentially play two bigs if they wanted to at times. 
but Motley was the one that I was looking at because he would be so good in the pick and roll game. Uh, he can space a little bit because he can knock down elbow jumpers. And obviously he's a big that you can actually feed the ball to and go score. But Baylor's best has not been when they've done that. Baylor's best has been when they've been able to f- spread you out, hit threes, create off the dribble, create in the pick and roll game, get to the rim. So for that reason, to me, it's Jared Butler or Davion Mitchell. And for this team, specifically when you're out there starting LJ Cryer, um, who I'm not going to say is a complete liability on defense, but he's not an elite defender. Adam Flagler is not an elite defender. If you can get Davion Mitchell on this team, and then you got those two sharpshooters on the outside along with Jalen Bridges, I think Davion Mitchell is the guy that you got to go with um, for this roster. And, and obviously Davion has so much talent and sometimes you just got to ride with the talent. So thanks for the question, Ashley. Moving on to the next question from Bear Coog. So the question is, I want to know your thoughts on putting basically an entire conference into postseason tournaments, regardless of sport. For instance, the SEC got 12 of their 13 softball programs into the postseason this year, and only one actually made it to the Women's College World Series. Florida had a quick, quick exit here, too. Is the last SEC team to get into that tourney that different from, say, an Iowa State or Baylor? The SEC is arguing against automatic qualifiers for the CFP for just this reason to get most, if not all, of their entire conference in. How do you feel about this for sports? And do we think, do you think we finally reach a breaking point where the, where other conferences will get tired of it? Well, I think for softball, it's important to remember that RPI, just like in baseball, is a big deal. And at least it's a measurement that you have an ability to change and to make better by scheduling tougher competition out of your conference play. Now, obviously, conference play, you can't really control. But if their conferences RPI is much harder, then I think that would say that their conference is much tougher and those games are much tougher than what Baylor and Iowa State had to go through. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, You know, at least there's a number at least there's something that is kind of guiding you to this decision whereas football is just ridiculous because it's just the eye it's literally an eye test and it's just so biased it's so much more biased than any other sport and and that's the problem with is that we've created this narrative that the sec is so good and while listen the sec is the best football conference i i totally think that. I totally understand that. They've had Georgia, they've had Alabama. So it makes the whole conference look really good. They've won a lot of championships. I understand that. But on the flip side, I would say that people give far too much credit to the middle of the SEC and think that the middle of the SEC is only losing, you know, five or four games every year because of those top teams. And that's where you kind of lose me Um, because an eight and four Texas A&M team is not very good. You know, that that's not a good team. And that's just period. I, okay. One of those losses is to Alabama. Although last year their loss wasn't to Alabama. So, Al, so Alabama did not dictate their losses. They lost to a bunch of very mediocre teams on their way, or at least in some cases, mediocre. They had some tough losses. I know the Georgia one and things like that. They've played some good teams in the past, but I'm just saying they act like, oh, just because you played Alabama, it allows you to lose three times. And that just simply does not make any sense to me. Um, I think going forward, they better not do that or else you're going to really lose a lot of college football fans. And and that's just the way that it's going to go. 
And that's the sad thing about is that if you're going to take away matchups from across the country, from across uh, conferences, you're going to lose a lot of those college football fans that you've had because they're not going to see, get to see their teams play, um, which is a tough reality of the situation. So thanks for the question, Bear Coog. So next question is from C. Mitness. Which prospects are you intrigued to see at a Baylor camp this summer? I mean, that that's such a tough question. They're going to have so many recruits at the camps. Um, but I'll just go through, I guess, a few of them. Um, Dickinson, 2023, wide receiver slash cornerback, Marquise Johnson. Uh, Clear Springs, 2023, offensive lineman, Nick Fatigue. Um, Clemens, 2024, safety, Paul Menke, uh, 2024, offensive lineman out of O'Connor, uh, Briley Brown, Hutto, 2024, quarterback, Will Hammond, uh, Jeff Grimes' son, Graydon Grimes, is 2024, tight end out of China Spring, uh, 2024, Katie Jordan athlete, Zechariah Sample, uh, 2024, Ridgepoint athlete, Mason Dossett. He just got a tech offer this week, and he's a Baylor legacy, so Baylor uh, I'm hoping we'll offer there at some point this summer. Uh, Coppers Cove, 2025 wide receiver, Tristan Glass. Uh, Austin LBJ, 2025 cornerback, Christian Watson. Uh, Tascasita, 2025 running back, Tory Blaylock. And then Del Val, 2025 quarterback, Max Gerlich. So those are just a few. Obviously, there's a lot of guys who are going to be uh, visiting and making their way to Waco um, and so we'll get to see more and there'll be some more surprises and more 2023 guys that actually show up than that have posted up to this point. Also from C Mitness, which opponent out of conference would you most like to schedule a home and home with in the future? Well, Baylor's got Utah, Auburn and Oregon on the docket. Um, so I, you know, this is an interesting one for me. I know there's a lot of cooler places to go see games and, you know, Ohio state would be really cool. They're on, they're on my list just as far as a venue to go see. But I think for me, it's Texas A&M and I know it's a boring answer, but for me, it's just ridiculous how much of a pass A&M gets for all the losses that they've accumulated over the years. And for them to be kind of a lot of people to be talking about them as the best football program in Texas, you know, between them and Texas, it's hilarious because neither of them have been nearly as good as Baylor has been the last decade in football. Um, and that's even with all the coaching changes Baylor has had to go through. And of course the scandal as well, they've still been better than both of them and won more uh, conference championships than both as well. So uh, that would be the program just because I, I think putting Baylor's brand against AM's brand is always a good thing. And I would love to see Baylor get a home and home with them in the near future. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for those questions. Seed Mitness. Alpha Needle, rank the Big 12 football stadiums one to 10, one being the best. Okay, so I would probably go uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Iowa State. TCU, Kansas State, and then Kansas. That would probably be my order um, from one to 10. Uh, if John Lovett had not left Baylor last year, would he have been the starting run starter at running back and Abram stayed at linebacker? If he was the starter, what kind of year would he have had relative to Abram? You know, that's such a tough question. I, I still think they probably would have moved Abram. I, I just, for whatever reason, I think he fit really well. Um, with what they were trying to do offensively. But let's just say for argument purposes, he stayed at linebacker and Lovett was the starting running back. I think he probably would have gotten around 200 carries instead of 257 carries, ran for around 1,000 yards, and I think Ebner would have gotten more carries. 
I think it would have been even more of a split just because we've seen, you know, Lovett and Ebner both dealt with a lot of injuries, weren't able to stay healthy for full seasons. And I know Abram dealt with a few nagging injuries here or there, but it never really cost him, you know, to miss time or really not, not play well in a game. I mean, maybe it affected him, you know, a couple times, but it, in the long run, he was, he was healthy for the year because he's a thick, strong ball carrier. So that's probably how I would have seen it gone, but I do think Abram would have made that move kind of regardless. Uh, would either of you wear the pants Scotty B is wearing in the picture of his post? Zero chance. I would not, but you do you, Scotty. Uh, I like the look um, with those Baylor pants. I just, I cannot rock those. <laughs> so thanks for the questions, Alpha Needle. Zwat Neho Bear. On a premium chat, I asked Travis who he thought would lead the team in receiving yards this year. He later addressed it on the radio show and said Monterey Baldwin. What say you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've talked to Travis about this a lot. And to me, Monterey is the safest bet because we all know he is going to have a role. He's going to get the football. He's going to be used in this offense. We know he is going to be a dude for this offense this year. But I just don't think it will be him. I, I think that he's got an opportunity to be really good but I don't think that he's going to be the guy that ends up, you know, getting all the receiving work and gets all the touches in the receiving game. And I don't think he's going to end up with the most yards. I think he'll be one of the outside receivers. And for that reason, I'm going to go with Hal Presley. Now that's assuming he comes back healthy, um, but he was showing major flashes before his injury. And I think in the long run, it's going to be one of the outside receivers who ends up with the most yards on this team. So I'll go with Hal Presley for now. So thank you for that question, Zwat Neho Bear. Um, SBG52, who do you think will get single digits outside of Morgan Doyle and Holmes? Yeah, outside of those guys, I guess I'll go with uh, uh, Apuika, Ben Sims, Jackson Player, Al Walcott, Blake Shapin, and then Squirrel or Monterey. Probably Squirrel is who I would go with, but that's only if they keep the single digits. I'm not sure if they're going to continue doing it or using it in the way that it was used in the past uh, when Matt Rule was at Baylor. So thanks for that question, SBG. Uh, moving on to the next question, ZT Smith 423 If you were put in charge of our recruiting, recruiting department, what approach do you take? The rule approach or the Aranda one? Thanks for the podcast and all the other work you guys put into this. Definitely look forward to checking it periodically throughout the day. Well, thank you so much for that, ZT. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I think I'm at a point where I'm a mixture between the two. So I love the measurable guide that rule used and they, you know, they offered based on those regardless of the tape at times and it paid off at times. You know, you think of JT Woods who basically had no senior film, but his measurables were so good that they ended up taking him. And obviously that turned out really, really well for rule and the staff. So I love that. I love the first to offer approach. I think that can be really effective at times, as long as you offer the right guys at the right times. Um, but I, I do agree with that to a certain extent. Now on the flip side, Aranda really values the culture fit and he values it so much more than rule and the staff ever did. They really get to know the prospects and figure out, are they going to be a great fit for Baylor and is Baylor a great fit for them? And because of that, there's going to be a lot less roster turnover and also less misses. You're not going to miss on as many guys because you're like, you know, taking guys who just simply don't fit and will never succeed um, 
at, you know, particular places because not every school is a great fit for every recruit. And you got to be able to find the ones that fit the Baylor prototype the best um, while also finding talent, of course, and finding guys that will help you win football games as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm kind of a mixture of both, but I would say Aranda's side is working really, really well right now. So it's been very intriguing to follow. So thanks for that question, ZT. Uh, original University of Texas, Grayson, uh, notable upcoming non-conference opponents we have coming up are Utah, Air Force, Auburn, Oregon. Uh, what is your top five teams you would like to see Baylor schedule home and home with? Well, I mentioned Texas A&M a little bit earlier. I would also put Ohio State on there. Uh, I'd put Purdue on there just because both my parents went to Purdue. So that would be a really intriguing matchup for me to see. Um, and then I would probably also say, let me think. Um, I kind of like the idea of potentially playing, you know, a school like a USC. I think that'd be a really cool matchup to go out to California and bring Baylor's brand to the West coast. There's a lot of people that go to Baylor that are from uh, the state of California. So I think that one would be really cool. And then I think in Florida, you know, going and playing uh, the Gators would be really cool as well. Going to the swamp and playing them. So those are the ones that I think a home and home with would be really, really cool. And, and I think Baylor would have a lot of success against those teams, even though they're really, really good. Uh, so thanks for that question. Original university of Texas, uh, Irish bear, when are you expecting the second three, six, five app to be up and running? Not sure yet. It's not really in our control. So we're just sitting back and waiting for uh, the app to get created. And I, I think it's going to be even better than it was uh, when we first had it. So I think it'll be up and running soon, uh, hopefully at least. And that way, you know, everyone can kind of get back to normalcy using the app. Uh, Darth Mellon, what do you see as the ceiling for us regarding recruiting rankings? I know we've, we haven't had a problem developing talent with top 40 classes, but I'm just curious as to how high you think we could jump if a random company sustained success. You know, I think around top 15 is kind of where I would be at. That's the highest I could see them going, especially with NIL, you know, top 15 is even tough to imagine, but I do think you know, they, they could get there if the right situation happens, if they get the right recruiting rankings for their guys, which is another big part of this is you got to get lucky. You got to get, you know, the media to say, oh yeah, this guy's a four star or whatever after he's already committed to Baylor, which doesn't always happen. So for this season, I think top 25 is probably the the ceiling, but going forward, I think there's a chance they could have a class that sneaks into the top 14, assuming they keep on winning at a very high level. Thanks for that question, Darth Mellon. Uh, Doc Crowell, do you think KRD will stick at running back? I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I do think he's going to have to lose some weight and get his movements back to the point that they were at during his junior season film. Um, he just looked a little too stiff in the hips and just not as explosive as a senior. And because of it, it's mainly because of the weight. Um, and so he's going to have to really trim down a little bit and get that explosiveness back. I think if he wants to stick at the running back position, uh, the Ohio state offer to Nova says pretty concerning to me. If he were to decommit knock on wood, I just knocked on wood for you. Uh, where do the coaches pivot? Yeah. I, I mean, I know everyone's concerned. I, I really think that he's going to end up at Baylor. So that's the first part that I'm going to start with. Um, but I think they'll check and see on Michigan State commit Bo Edmondson and Texas Tech commit Jake Strong. They're in-state guys who are okay. Um, I don't think either one is really would ever be a starter at Baylor. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, should you take one? But 
you, you kind of got to take a chance at that point. If you end up missing out on this guy who, who you've basically invested two years of the position on. So I think they'd probably look at those two, um, try to land one of those along with a transfer in the off season to try to make up everything they missed in 22 and 2023. Um, and then focus on trying to land a big fish in 2024, like a Derek Lagway. Um, and then the other option would be maybe go after a, a big fish by going after, you know, like Purdue commit Ricky Collins at Louisiana. He'd be kind of the one that I'd be looking at the most as a guy who they could potentially flip and a guy who I think would be pretty talented and actually have a chance to play during his time at Baylor. Uh, but in general, that would be really tough to come back from. It really would be. They've invested a lot into Austin Novoset, and for them to have to go out and try to find a freshman quarterback would be really difficult. Uh, but I do think they'd have some success in the portal finding a guy, especially if you're selling, you know, the replacement after Shapin. Um, you know, I, I think they could sell that pretty well. So thanks for that question, Doc Crowl. Uh, Red Bear, uh, first time to ask a question. Thank, thanks for all you do. Uh, for the site and covering Baylor athletics. Well, thank you so much, Red Bear. And don't be afraid to ask more questions. We love answering them. Looking 10 years down the road, how do you see the way sports are viewed on TV slash streaming playing out winners and losers? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I think that, I think a lot of it will stay the way that it is as far as, you know, certain media outlets, ESPN, ABC, Fox, still having a, a big share of the views and a big share of the, the content, but I do think those streaming services are going to start to involve sports even more when you're talking about ESPN plus Peacock, Netflix, you know, all of those and it's ever changing. And so really the winners and losers are the guys who either a decide they're not going to jump aboard going full streaming. Um, and the ones who just decide they're going to stick to doing what they've always done. And what you've always done is just simply not going to work 10 years from now. You got to adapt. And so the good news is I think the big 12 getting rid of Texas and Oklahoma will allow them to be much more innovative and much more creative on the streaming side and the TV side. And so for that reason, I think the big 12 will actually put themselves in a good position to be successful as long as they hire the right people to move this conference forward in the right direction. The losers will be the ones that just try to that get out too late essentially that they get that don't go into the streaming platform as quickly as possible. But to be honest, I can't think of one specific school that is just going to be destroyed by this. I, I don't know that that's a realistic situation. I think it's going to be more about what conferences struggle with that. Um, and I think Bay I think the big 12 can be proactive in that mind. Um, but I just don't know what the other conferences are going to do, but I can't imagine that if the big 12 goes this route and has success that the other conferences wouldn't go that route really quickly and have success as well. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of losers. Um, most should be winners. Um, but at the end of the day, the big 12 does have to make this work. They got to figure out a way to make this work because there's just a lot of changes that are coming up to the conference and the streaming side of things and TV side is an area where the Big 12 can make up a lot of ground. So thanks for that question, Red Bear. Uh, Edmund Bear, is Scotty B a harmless, knowledgeable, and friendly Baylor fan, or does he carry the stench of a million broken dreams in his pants? Look upon them and see the truth. Um, yeah, I see the mark. It says Zubots on his pants, obviously referring to uh, Baylor's Elite Eight loss to Duke. And I still think he's a harmless, knowledgeable, friendly Baylor fan. It just was the wrong choice of pants, and he's going to need to tear that label off immediately because you're right. 
It's the mark of the beast on there. So that's it this week. Thanks everyone for the questions. This was a really exciting podcast. I know no Craig this week, no video format, but I'm glad we got to talk about a lot of the things going on in Baylor football and recruiting. Um, We'll be back next week. Uh, We'll be back in studio to talk about many, many more things and many storylines coming off of Baylor's first official visit weekend of the 2023 recruiting cycle. But for now, this has been Grayson Grunhafer, and this has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.